Okay, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 8, and we'll be starting from verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squirrel came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all of the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out had begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told while she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, 
Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother teach, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's good to be with you, friends. Thanks for having our family here. I want to start today with a slightly embarrassing admission. Once or twice a week, as a family, we sit down to watch Millionaire Hot Seat. You know the show? And I know this is an odd life choice for for me. Uh, the ads kind of suggest it's a show for my parents' generation, not for my generation. Uh, it, it's true. I've realised, though, it's not actually a show about the questions and money. It's actually a show just about people. You know, each new participant enters the hot seat, and the first thing they do is not actually answer a question. The host, Eddie Maguire, the first thing he does is ask them questions, questions about their life. And as the people tell their stories, that's when you decide, I like this person, or I don't like this person. I want this person to win, I don't want this person to win. And invariably, as people speak about their life, often Eddie Maguire will ask them about, what do they want, what are their hopes, their dreams for life? And this person is studying film and wants to be a producer one day. And this, this person has never been outside of Australia and they really want to travel overseas. Or, or this person has a small business and really wants to make it grow. And after each person, person speaks about the hopes for their life, just about every time Eddie Maguire has the same response. He says, I hope that happens for you. I hope that goes well for you. You know, you want to have a career in journalism? I hope that goes well for you. You want to meet your long-lost sister over in England? I hope that goes well for you. You want to go skydiving one day? I hope that goes well for you. See, he's right, because there's no way to be sure that any of these things will happen for these people. So all Eddie Maguire can do is say, I hope that goes well for you. Sometimes, the Christian life can feel like that. We want everything that Jesus offers, we, we, we love it, we hear it, and we think, oh, I'd love, I'd love if all that comes true for me. But can I really be sure? How can I be certain about all this? And it becomes pretty easy in the Christian life sometimes, just to take Eddie Maguire's line. I hope this Christian thing works out well for me. The passage we read today gives us confidence It shows us plainly and clearly that nothing, nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation to us. We just read the second half of chapter 8, 
But in Luke, in chapters 7 and 8 of Luke, they're actually all, all about salvation. So there are stories about healings that give us a picture into what salvation looks like. And we see the different ways that people respond to the salvation that Jesus brings. And Jesus, he even tells us what he saves us from. Because that's the problem, right? We start talking about salvation, but there are so many things that we could be saved from. My bad life choices, my failing health, my nagging boss, my, my growing debt, and so on and so on. And I was thinking about this just yesterday, and I realized that heaps of the TV shows I watch, they're actually at least in part about salvation. So Pip and I, uh, we, we watch Stranger Things, which is all about salvation. It's salvation from the upside down world, salvation from the demogorgon that lives there. Uh, we're currently watching the American version of The Office, uh, a little bit, a little bit dated, but at least the first few seasons, they're in, about salvation. Salvation from the wrong life partner. Pam, you gotta choose Jim, not Roy. Jim, you gotta choose Pam, not Karen. None of this makes sense to you, right? You haven't seen it before. I'm reading a book that was written in 1941. It's a murder mystery, quite fun. Uh, it's called The Case of the Constant Suicides. Even way back then in the 40s, the story is really all about salvation. Salvation from whatever it is that's making people jump out of a very high window. And I haven't got to the end yet, so I can't tell you what it is. I don't know. But Jesus is very clear about what he's bringing salvation from. Jesus says clearly, I'm bringing salvation from sin. Luke chapter 7 and 8, all about salvation. And at the very end of chapter 7, Jesus says this. Jesus is speaking to a woman. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests at the dinner, they began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Sin is our rejection of God. And it's all the things we do because we live in rejection of God. As you can imagine, God's not happy with that. And the Bible here says he will judge us for our sin. And that is what Jesus comes to save us from. Jesus brings forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sins. Forgiveness from God. He promises to save us from sins. And so today we're looking at the second half of chapter 8. And we are going to see that nothing, nothing can stop Jesus bringing this salvation to us. We don't have to have Eddie Maguire's attitude. right? We don't just kind of hope that salvation will work out but really have no confidence in it. Instead, we're challenged, challenged to put our faith in Jesus because he is totally able to save. So why don't I pray and we'll dig into this passage a bit more. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you that you speak to us, that you speak to us by Jesus and by your word. And so we pray now, please help us hear, Father. There's things that might distract us, please take them away. Please help us listen to what you say. Please help my words be your words. And please help us to open our hearts to respond in obedience. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We've got two points for today. The first point is this. 
Nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation. Nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation. We see this as Jesus calms the storm and then heals a demon-possessed man. In verse 22, we read that Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. They're sailing across the lake and then this storm comes and this storm, it threatens the life of this boatload of men. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, the storm is described as a squall. I thought to myself, a squall doesn't sound too bad, does it, really? But actually, this storm is terrifying. Look at, look at the descriptions. The storm is so bad that the boat is getting swamped with water. The storm is so bad, they're not just in danger, they're in great danger. The storm is so bad that this lake has become like a bowl of raging water throwing them about. The storm is so bad that even seasoned fishermen are fearing for their life. It's a bad storm. This is not just any old rainy day. This is a monster storm bearing down with all its might on this lake, on this boat, on these men. This is a nightmare. The whole natural world is is against this boatload of guys. I vividly remember one time I went out fishing and our family was on holiday and the place we were staying, it offered these little half-day fishing trips And so my dad decided he'd take me and my brother on the trip. So I was about 12, my brother about 11 years old. There was no storm this day. There was no wind, no rain. But there was a swell. Quite a big swell. And we were in this boat. Not a very big boat. And minute after minute, amongst this giant swell, the boat seemed smaller and smaller and smaller as these mountains of water just kept tossing us up and down and up and down. And my brother and I, I think we lost our breakfast that morning. It wasn't fun. That wasn't a storm, right? But it was bad enough. So I shudder to think what it was like to be on that boat with Jesus. The disciples know it. They're in danger. They need someone to save them. So they rush towards Jesus. They wake him up. They're panicked. They say, Jesus, help us, save us. We're going to drown. And look at what Jesus does. Verse 24. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and everything was calm. See, the natural world here is throwing everything at these disciples. They need to be saved and Jesus saves them. So they arrive on the other side of the lake and straight away they're met by a man who's possessed by a demon. He's quite a scary dude. Did you notice the the way he's described? Look at it. He doesn't wear clothes anymore. He lives in the local graveyard. He's considered so dangerous that the townspeople sometimes try and and, and lock him up. But even then he just breaks the chains uh, and, and goes free. Often he goes for days just trekking into the wilderness. No one knows where he's gone and then he just appears again. Imagine meeting this guy. Imagine meeting him. What would you do? Probably run away, right? But listen, let's say you don't run. And let's say you you talk to this guy. Imagine that. What would you ask this man? If you got the chance, what, what would you ask him? Probably, you're not going to ask his name, are you? That seems just a bit of an odd question to ask at that point. But that's just what Jesus does. Jesus says to this man, what's your name? Don't you wonder why? Of all the questions you could ask Jesus, why bother asking his name? Are you just trying to be polite here? 
is, could Jesus not think of anything better to say? Was he just trying to fill an awkward silence? Why ask the man's name? I think the reason is in the response. Look at verse 30. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Jesus asks this man's name to show the real situation that he's in. He's not merely possessed by one demon. There are many demons that have gone into him. A legion of soldiers was numbered about 5,000. So if this demon is called legion, we should probably be thinking, this is thousands of demons in this guy. And I think that's why Jesus asked the question. Because the answer shows just how horrible life has become for him. If the disciples had the natural world against them, well, this man, he has the supernatural world against him. And so we have this man come to Jesus. The supernatural forces have destroyed his life. And what does Jesus do? In an instant, Jesus saves this man. With a word, the legion of demons are gone. This man is saved completely by Jesus. Now, this story might seem a little bit weird to us. All this stuff about demons and demon possessions, it's a bit odd. And if you're brought up in Australia, this is especially so, because in our society, if you ever talk about anything about the supernatural world, you're kind of written off as a bit of a weirdo. But the Bible says there's more to reality than just what we can see with our eyes. And in fact, the Bible's at ease when it talks about the supernatural world, a world that includes angels and demons, uh, God and Satan. So when the Bible talks about these kind of things, we should actually take it seriously. The Bible writers, they are able to tell the difference between medical sickness and demon possession. And what we have here is a man who is possessed by a demon. By thousands of demons. See, the supernatural world is is thoroughly and totally against this man. But not even the supernatural world can stop Jesus. Just like he saved the disciples in the storm, Jesus saves this man too. And so what do we have in these first two stories? In each story, we catch a glimpse of salvation. People are being saved from certain things. The disciples are saved from the storm. The man is saved from the demons. And what we're seeing in this is a picture of our salvation from sins. A picture that shows us that nothing, nothing can stand in the way of Jesus bringing salvation, of Jesus saving people. All the forces of nature, all the natural world is against the disciples. doesn't stop Jesus from saving them. All the forces of, of evil, all the supernatural world is against the man. And again, Jesus still saves. You see the point here? Nothing, nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation. So when Jesus says he brings salvation from sins, we need to know that nothing can stop him. Jesus is utterly and totally able to save, friends. If you're a Christian, this is such good news, isn't it? Hearing this should bring us confidence, great confidence. Confidence that, that Jesus does save. Confidence that whatever 
I might think stands in the way of Jesus saving me? Well, it actually doesn't. Nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation from sins. This doesn't mean that I never doubt. Sometimes doubts do come. Sometimes I doubt that Jesus can save because I don't think I'm good enough. I've sinned again, done the same thing again. Surely Jesus will give up on me, I doubt. Sometimes I doubt that Jesus can save me because, well, maybe he was just a man. Maybe he really isn't who the Bible says he is. Maybe I've been wrong about him. Sometimes I doubt just because I'm having a bad day. And that's what I do when I have a bad day. I I, I doubt. I doubt my salvation. Which is why it's so important that we hear this part of the Bible, isn't it? The Bible is showing me here clearly that nothing can stop Jesus from saving me. So I can then be confident. Jesus really does save me from my sin. And yet I'll, I'll still have my doubts in my life. I will. But when I do, in those moments, I keep reminding myself of these truths, don't I? It's kind of like I preach a little sermon to myself. No, no, no. Jesus does save me from sin. Nothing can stop him doing that. So I do this again and again. I hear the wonderful news that nothing can stop Jesus bringing me salvation. This is good news, friends. Now, if that's true, if nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation, well, what do we do? How do we, how do we get on board with Jesus then? Well, we have faith. That's the second point for the day. Have faith. Put your faith in Jesus. And we see this in the stories about the sick woman and Jairus. See, Jesus and his disciples, they cross back over the lake in the boat. And it doesn't take long before someone comes to Jesus with a problem. This man is called Jairus. And he comes to Jesus and he gets down on his knees and he says, he begs, he pleads with Jesus, 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 help me, come with me, please, Jesus, my daughter is dying, come and help her. And Jesus goes with Jairus. But on the way, there's an interruption. There's this whole crowd following along with Jesus and then suddenly, Jesus makes everyone stop. He pulls up the whole crowd and look at what he says, verse 45. Who touched me? Well, then again in verse 46, someone touched me. I know someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Peter seems a little bit bemused by the whole thing. He basically says to Jesus, come on, Jesus, look at the crowd. There's heaps of people here. Of course people are going to touch you. How can you just try and single out one person? Have you ever been in a big crowd of people? It can get pretty wild, right? Uh... When I was a teenager, I went to a Foo Fighters concert. Some of you will know the Foo Fighters. Um, I was really pumped about this. This was like my teenage dream. And my, I was there with my friend, and, and he was pumped as well. We got there nice and early so we could get you know, close to the front of the stage. And then the Foo Fighters started playing. And the crowd started jumping. And things just got a bit wild. And pretty soon we got pushed and pulled. We got kind of jostled and jammed. And soon we were a long way from the front of the stage. And that's the kind of crowd we've got right here, right? It's, 
It's, it's big, it's, it's pushing, it's shoving, it's a hive of activity. And amidst all of that activity in the crowd, Luke draws our attention to one person. A woman. A sick woman. She's been sick for 12 years. No one can help her. Here's a woman who needs to be saved. So she goes to Jesus. She touches his cloak and instantly she's healed. And Jesus pulls up the crowd when this happens. And at first the woman is afraid to come forward but eventually she does. She admits to it. Look at verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And listen to Jesus' response to her. This is crucial. Listen to this. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Imagine being Jairus right now. Imagine, imagine being in Jairus' shoes at that moment. This would fill you with confidence, wouldn't it? I mean, you've come to Jesus so that he can heal your sick daughter. And then on the way to your house, he heals this sick woman. Surely you've come to the right guy then. If, if you're Jairus, you're feeling like super confident now. You're feeling confident until, that is, the messengers come. In verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now imagine being Jairus. Your heart sinks, doesn't it? Your confidence is gone. All hope is lost. At this moment, your worst fears are realized. Your little daughter's dead. But hear then Jesus' words to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Do you see what Jesus is calling Jairus to? He's actually calling Jairus to be like the sick woman. The sick woman, she's supposed to be an example to Jairus. She's not an example that shows Jesus can save She's not there merely to demonstrate to Jairus that Jesus can heal. The sick woman is actually an example of how to take hold of the healing that Jesus offers, how to take hold of the salvation that Jesus brings. She's an example of faith. And that's what Jesus is calling Jairus to do, to believe. Jairus, trust me, have faith. I've got this one. And Jairus does. He trusts Jesus. So they go to Jairus' house and Jesus saves the dead girl. He brings her back to life. What we're seeing here is how we take hold of salvation. We've already seen that nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation to us. And here, both the sick woman and Jairus, they actually show us the same thing. That is that we take hold of this salvation by faith. Now, faith can get a bit of a bad rap at times. Uh, faith is often just thought of as the unthinking blind leap in the dark. 
That's what Richard Dawkins thinks faith is. This is what he said once. He said, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, a lack of evidence. You see what he's saying about faith there? Faith is what you have when there's no reason to actually believe anything. There's no evidence to believe it. There's no proof, so you cop out. You say you've got faith instead. But you can see, can't you? That's not the kind of faith that the sick woman or Jairus have. They put their faith in Jesus because they've seen him. Because they've heard others say what he does. They've seen and heard that he saves others and that's why they come to him. See, when the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about something very different to Richard Dawkins. Faith in the Bible is about trust. You trust something that's reliable. That's what the sick woman and Jairus saw about Jesus. They could trust him. My daughter has learned this. You saw there, there they are, there's Eva. She's about 18 months old now, so that's a bit of an old photo. Uh, but Eva has learned that if she comes towards me with her arms open, I'll catch her. And so that's what she does. She spreads her arms open, she'll kind of walk or toddle towards me, and when she gets about that far away, she just kind of falls and flops into my arms. And she's trusting there that I'll catch her. Now the problem is, sometimes I'm not quite ready, and I'm off balance, and oh, I kind of fall over, and she falls over, and... Well, that's not very fun. But thankfully, Jesus is not like me. And Jesus can be completely trusted. That's what we saw before. Remember, nothing can stop Jesus bringing salvation. And so we're challenged to do then, aren't we? We're challenged to do what the sick woman did. What Jairus did. We're called to trust Jesus. He can save us from sin. We're called to have faith. Maybe you're here today and and you don't trust Jesus. If that's the case, you know, I hope this part of the Bible has been really helpful for you. And I hope you can see what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to trust him. To trust that he can bring you salvation, salvation from your sins. Do you want to do it today? To start trusting Jesus? If you do, that's brilliant. Um, look, there's no better time to start trusting Jesus than now. Um, if that's you, come talk to me after or, or come talk to Sue who's been up here or Mike who's been up here or really just any Christian that, that you're okay to talk with. But do, make that step. Make that step today. Start trusting Jesus. And maybe you're here though and you don't trust Jesus and you're not ready to start trusting Jesus yet either. And if that's you, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, beginning to put your trust in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, that will be the biggest change in your life ever. But I do want to urge you to something. I want to urge you, look, keep looking into Jesus. I'm sure that the sick woman in Jairus had actually heard quite a bit about Jesus before they went to him. And that's what I want to urge you to do, to keep Checking Jesus out to get to know him. See if he is trustworthy. See if you can rely on him. One way to do that would be to stay in touch with church here at Trinity Grove 
and come to the life course. The life course is running next, I think, in June. Uh, it's something. It's 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 a course that we run here to present Jesus, uh, to show you who Jesus is, to look at the Bible, to look at the evidence, to listen to Jesus and what He says. And if that's something you want to do, I'd really recommend it. Um, it's thoroughly good. Why not tick the box there on your little communication cards? There's a box there at the top that says, please tell me about the next life course. It's a great way to discover Christianity. It is. Um, pop your name, maybe a way to get in touch with you down there. But do that. Don't leave today without making a decision to keep looking into Jesus. There are many ways you could do that. Life is a brilliant way to do that. We're going to fill out our comment cards in a moment. Why not tick that box today? There'll be others of us who are here, though, who already trust Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. We, we trust he'll save us from our sins. And we've already spoken about being confident in that, confident even when we have doubts. So what do we do now? Well, I want to suggest one particular thing from this passage. I was thinking about my own life this week and, and this passage, and I was wondering, what would it look like for me if I really was confident that Jesus brings salvation, that nothing stops Jesus bringing salvation, and if I really was confident that faith is the right response to have to this, what would my life look like? And I realised, if actually I am confident about this, if I'm convinced of it, well, wouldn't I be telling others to put their faith in Jesus too? Wouldn't I be inviting others to put their faith in Jesus too? So let me tell you personally what I think that means for me. A new neighbour has just arrived in my street just this week. We saw them uh, moving some stuff in through the week and then the truck came uh, yesterday. They're living across the road from us a bit. Um, and so, because I think that Jesus saves and I'm convinced that my new neighbours can uh, take hold of this if they come to Jesus in faith, what do I do? Well, firstly, I'm going to plan to meet them. Uh, I'm going to go over there sometime this week and say hi. I want to get to know them. I, I, I want to befriend them. Um, and at some point, I, I want to tell them about salvation in Jesus. I want to invite them to have faith in him too. Because if I'm convinced that nothing can stop Jesus saving us, isn't that what I do? So next time you see me, please feel free. Ask me how it's going. Check up on me. See how it's going. See what my neighbours think. Now, I know that whenever we talk about this kind of thing, it's really easy to feel guilty because um, this can be a hard thing for us, talking about our faith and sharing our faith. But I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. What I hope is that you leave here feeling confident, more and more confident in Jesus. Look, see how he calms the storm and casts out the demons. Realize that nothing can actually stop Jesus bringing salvation. Grow your confidence in Jesus. And, and look at what he commends in the sick woman and in Jairus. It's their faith. Faith is the way we take hold of this salvation. See, Christianity is nothing like what Eddie Maguire says. He just hopes. He just hopes for the best. We're confident. We're confident Jesus truly does save. So be confident. Not, not in yourself. Be confident in Jesus. Remember, he's the one who brings salvation. And then, as you're confident, why not try it? Sharing your faith 
with someone this week? Why not give it a try? Let me pray for us and then I'll sit down. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who can steal the storm and cast out the demon, that he is the one that can bring salvation no matter what. We praise you that nothing stops him. And we thank you that you've shown us what response we ought to have. Father, I pray that we would all leave here trusting you today. If anyone, Father, is amongst us who does not yet trust you, we pray that they would trust you today or make steps to keep checking out Jesus. And we pray for ourselves, those of us who do already trust Jesus. Father, please grow our confidence in him. Please make us more and more sure that nothing can stop him bringing us salvation. So, Father, we pray too that you would help us share this good news with those around us and that you would receive honour and glory for this. We ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.